talking about food as medicine or how we eat, you know, older cultures would eat within season. So this is another aspect of it, oh. right? Because when you eat in season, you're getting the maximum nutrition absorbed into the food. Hi, everyone. This is Giant Gilman, formerly known as the Queen of Jeans on HSM, but now host of my own podcast, Too Young to Be Old. I'm going to ask you a question. If you could eat your way back to health with delicious foods instead of chemicals and drugs, if you could work your way through menopause, through herbal teas and how you position your meals, wouldn't you? I know I would. And we've got someone today, Cholin Moy, who is an expert in oriental medicine with the belief that you can do it all naturally. Welcome, Choi. Oh my God, I love your philosophy so much. Thank you so much. Thank you. So did you know that um, apart from October is a busy month, apart from it being Breast Cancer Awareness Month, it is also Menopause Awareness Month. And I know that when I went through menopause and I went through it early at about 43, it was, whoa, heavy duty, and not so much the sweats, but losing my hair, losing my skin quality, uh, cracks in my voice, uh, muscle cramps, no sleep at night. And now I understand, because you are an expert in this, I could have eaten my way back to a much better place. Explain that to us. Well, um, thank you for that question because, uh, you know, menopause is uh, something that in, in the West that's really like treated as a disease and not something as like a natural part of a transition. Just like we go through puberty, um, there are these hormonal ah. shifts that are happening. And so there are fluctuations, there's moodiness, there's uh, awkward body uh, growth, uh, skin problems, greasy hair, um, you know, poor sleep, like moody, like kids stay up all night and really they get angry <laughs> and, um, because their brain is being influenced too. Um, and so one of the, the big the big problems is the approach, the the mindset that we have towards, uh, you know, women's bodies in general. How we're always like dieting and trying to be thin and um, achieve, you know, something that's very unrealistic and and really promoting. Um, we look at magazines how they actually even health magazines that there is like this promoting the thinness and, and, um, you know, restrictive eating, which is really leads to a lot of these, um, let's say eating disorders. And so when women start to experience, you know, hormonal fluctuations, you know, a lot of times they get gaslighted by their physicians. That's another issue, you know, for, for, for women, when they start to have changes or, or, or they're just like, here, take some hormones and yeah. really, 
Yeah. So looking at like, what are all of the things that they've been doing all along to try to manage their body then ends up being a problem for them. So, uh, you know, like the diet sodas, the not eating, you know, like organic foods, uh, eating a lot of processed foods, we get a lot of information about that, you know, oh, this is good for you because it's already prepackaged. But, but we don't, we don't even in, in Western medicine, we don't even talk when it comes to menopause. It was all about how many drugs you should take and sleeping pills because your sleep is interrupted. And what were you going to do about hot flashes? And, but there was, it was all drug manufactured drug oriented there was no discussion about food at all and when you talked about wow all this fat is going on in my middle area my my torso there was total silence so what would be the East Asian method of handling menopause. And I do understand that you're saying that there's a different attitude to it. It simply is a doorway to the next layer of life. But for us in the West, especially America, it's like a vanity issue. It's the end of good hair. It's the end of good skin. It's the end of a narrow waist. And so you go for all of these um, substitute solutions like Sonabello to get the fat sucked out of your middle and starving to death, which I do frequently. And talk to us about your way of doing it. Okay. That's a great, okay. So the mindset is a really big part of it. And, um, and this is really, uh, making a strong connection, a mind-body connection with your body. Your body's not your enemy, right? Ah. And so this is really like trying to fix it is one of the, the issues. So if we are agreeing that our waist is supposed to be, you know, like 28 inches, or if we're agreeing that we're supposed to look a certain way, then, you know, that that is really like where we start to not really take care of ourselves in the way that we really need to look at. So when we, we take in food and this is like a consciousness. So really we first have to have the consciousness, which is clear that this is what your, you know, the podcast and what you want to share with, you know, the people that are listening is really to become very conscious and aware of how to, to take care of themselves. So the first thing is not like, oh, I'm doing everything wrong or there's something wrong with me, but it's really to make informed choices. And so, um, you know, wherever you are, we start wherever you are. And so one of the things is like, we have to look at the stress levels. So worrying a lot about I'm getting old and the, you know, and, and, and the messages we get is not going to help right? And so because the stress levels are the things that cause the cortisol to rise, and then you get all the, you know, around the middle, you get more, um, you know, uh, weight around the middle. Oh, my, but chill, my middle went now, my waist was never the best part of my physique. It was always my legs. My middle, my waist is 35 inches and my hips are 35 and a half inches. 
<laughs> oh my God. So I'm going to just redirect you a little back okay, to yeah. what, in your point of view, how do you pivot your diet? What are the foods that are going to really help you get through menopause? And what am I going to do about that 35-inch waist? Because in America, a 35-inch waist is the definition nationally of obesity. Help. Okay. So one of the things we, you need to look at, okay, so in terms, let me address the 35-inch the waist thing is really we look at you look at the ratio right so if you have a 35 inch waist but you got 50 inch hips then we're that's a whole different story right yeah. we're looking at um what it means is that there's a lot more of the weight around the middle or there might be you know you know more fat that's uh, accumulating around the organs and the thing is is we store we we put on fat when we have a lot of toxicity in the body because the body needs to transform chemicals. Oh. So things like pesticides and other kinds of um, toxic stuff needs to be stored and it gets transformed into, those are the esterols, right? So those actually will bind with fat to be stored. Otherwise we get really sick. So one of the things is, is that as we, our metabolize, uh, metabolism gets a little slower as we get older and especially for women because their estrogen lowers, right? But both of, you know, through the menopause, what we have are both of the hormones are kind of fluctuating just like in puberty. And then eventually when it stops, they kind of balance out. So overall they're lower, but in the meantime, they're kind of, they're doing this big fluctuation. So what do I recommend? Um, and this should be not just because someone is going through menopause. I recommend really um, eating more, you know, eating to live, you know, one of those more plant-based. You still need to eat some animal protein, but really like you should be able to see what your food is, right? If you're having broccoli, you look at the broccoli, you see what it is. Um, one of the things that um, people don't realize is when they actually prepare their own food. And this I, you know, more recently learned is when you chop up the broccoli, you should just kind of like let it sit for a little while because the the cancer fighting uh, properties in the broccoli then doesn't get destroyed in the cooking, right? So there's the the part of the a little bit of the oxidation makes a difference in terms of the way that we absorb the nutrients. But for and for for me, I thought, okay, I'm losing estrogen. Yeah, I should be eating estrogen producing foods like tofu. Mm -hmm. Was I right? Or was yeah. I wrong? Well, you, you're looking at what they call phytoestrogens. So we're looking at foods, but in general, when we eat a very balanced diet, you know, mostly veg, veggie, less starch, and very little animal protein. Right? I wish. Because, yeah. yeah. Um, that we're getting enough of the materials for our body to then create what it needs. Because when I got breast cancer, that was a big emphasis at Mount Sinai Hospital, which, which has their rules for a diet, most of which you would really agree with. But um, it was no estrogen-producing foods. So actually, 
for five years now, and I like tofu. I'm one of those weird Westerners that actually likes tofu. I have completely paranoically stayed away from it because I'm afraid to raise my estrogen levels again. But during menopause, I thought, well, this is a good solution. I should be, and not for me, not knowing that actually in the meat I was eating, they were pumping the cows full of estrogen and to make them grow bigger and fatter and faster. So it, it all comes back to how do you balance out what little you know about your diet and what you should be doing to eat to support your life? Well, I mean, I think you just explained it, that you really need to get educated about it. You really need to um, not just, you know, take for granted what's on the label. Um, because we, we know that usually what is on, I mean, I don't know if everyone knows, I would say what's on the, the label. And I was thinking about this morning because of business stuff is we just need to provide the minimum amount or say, oh, you know, it's, it's, uh, you know, don't eat too much of this or that, but really to obscure, um, really what's in the, the food and really be like, well, you have a choice. You don't have to buy it, <laughs> right? It's like it's like cigarettes. You know, you have like, don't smoke. It's not good for you, right? But people are, if you're, it's kind of, it, it creates that funny dissonance because like, well, if it's not good for me, then why are they still selling it? Because um, so they can, can. Because yeah. they can. And because you can, exactly. Yeah, so, you know, I tell a story, and it's and you've got a good story to tell, too, so I can't wait, but I'll tell mine first. Go for it. So I crave creamy, fatty foods, and I will admit to you that I've had dinner some nights at home where it was six strips of thick-cut bacon. I mean, you can't get much unhealthier than that. And I love cream cheese. I love cheesecake. I love cream cheese and lox, you know, smoked salmon. So I went to the GP after years of not going because of COVID and also because of breast cancer. And she said, your cholesterol's at a level where you're going to drop dead any minute. I want you on statins immediately. And I thought, I don't want to be on statins. And I know people that take statins and they use the drug as an excuse to have every bad food there is and say, well, I'm on statins. I'm not going to get heart disease from my well, you know, what about diabetes and God knows what else. So I said to her, I will eat my way back to health. And she said, you will never eat your way down to a good level on cholesterol. It's too high. Within seven months, my cholesterol was perfect. And then a couple of weeks ago, I fell off the wagon. You know, it's fall weather, it's crisp outside, you want substantial. So I ordered a cheesecake online. I thought it was a little one, like part size, but no, it was actually like 12 inches across. And by the end of the afternoon, I had, I was actually eating 
out of the refrigerator with the refrigerator door open, I'd eaten half the cheesecake. And my only solution was I had to throw the other half out. So I crave those foods and I wonder why. Um, well, I mean, we, you know, before we started recording, we were talking about, you know, that we, you know, those in particular taste like mother's milk, right? Like the, the cheesy wow. custard, the vanilla stuff. And so there, you know, there are also our brain chemicals, you know, such as like dopamine and acetylcholine and GABA, right? And serotonin that are pleasurable. And so, these foods also have those sig you know signals which is like part of where addiction comes in right where we have like where oh, yeah. the sugar it fires off right so um really what i would look at is if that is happening then we're like okay we're we, maybe we're missing some other nutrients in our diet that we need to eat right so it's not it, it, it's actually a signal of like hey you know, maybe we need to have some avocado, maybe we, you know, that's going to help because really our body is, is craving the things that it needs. Right. And, and it knows that, oh, I can get whatever it is in that, but then you're eating the rest of the cheese, you know, you're eating the rest of everything else with it, including like the sugar and the, yeah, the other things too. Right. Yeah. yeah. Now you said you had a chai latte story to tell. Yes. Yes. Um, and this happened, I could tell you it like, when was it? I, I have not had a soy chai latte from Starbucks since that date. It might've been like October 11th or, or I remember it was like a long time ago, sitting in a, in a, a, a lecture about possession and um, it was it was talking about this thing where we have and really like uh, so what I'll I'll preface it, it's like when you have like un, an unhealthy microbiome in your system and how you get triggered for cravings and stuff and this uh, fellow uh, who he's does these. Um, uh, what do you call it? translations of ancient texts? He was talking about this is like something in ancient Chinese texts where they would talk about things where, you know, when you're a, have an addiction to something that you have this kind of relationship with it. And he said, you know, it could be, you know, when these little creatures in your body, you know, suddenly will pop a a picture of a cookie in your head in the middle of nowhere, <laughs> and then suddenly you're like, oh, maybe I should have a cookie because yeah. or. Um, create these chemicals to get you emotionally upset that then you want to soothe yourself. And um, he said, you know, it could be something small, a thing you do every single day. And so here I was, I'm sitting there and in my hand, I've got my chai latte. And I looked at it because I would get this soy chai, so vanilla, the soy chai, no water, just the, the soy and the chai. And I would have one of them and all day long, I would just add a little water. I would sip it. I would add water. I would sip it. And I would notice that, you know, if I was walking somewhere, I'd go like, oh, you know, there's a Starbucks over there. I haven't had my chai latte yet. And I realized suddenly, oh my God, 
I've been feet like slow because I would be it's only one a day, but I was slowly, you know, having little hits of this sweetness. And it has like artificial sweetener and like a sucralose thing. And then immediately like, oh my God. So I stopped it. And then I also said, you know what? I need to heal my gut. I'm going to, you know, uh, start to introduce uh, some uh, probiotics to really like think a little bit more about it. And can I tell you, I must have lost like 15 pounds of inflammation. I didn't realize like (sighs) how much inflammation was in my system because you don't know you're a little bit squishy, right? So when you're in your 40s and something like ever, you know, you, you can go to the doctor and they go, oh, you know, it's normal when you hit a certain age you I know, hate to, to start, you know, but it was like everything was a little bit. And that was when I was like, oh, wow, you know, because it, it was really the thing that would trigger me to think like, oh, I didn't have one today. Or, and you oh, deserve one. Or, you know, you think to yourself, well, I deserve it. Yeah, or I'm just having one a day. Oh, I'm just having one. And I would, I would milk it the whole day. You know, I would just keep adding a little hot water, a little hot water to dilute it. But what I was doing, I was like, really, it was like, I, I might as well, have, you know, put an IV into my <laughs> arm. It was, like a, it was like a slow drip so of this what, stuff. I know my system needs probiotics. And I try to eat at a low gluten level because I've got initial um, arthritis in my knees that one of them is killing me. And so I don't need any more inflammation than I've already got. But how do you approach probiotics naturally with food? Or do you suggest a supplement? Or I'm lost there. I don't know what to do, but I know I need to do it. Okay, so what I you know, suggest to my patients is they need to, if you're going to do it with food, it's going to take a long time. So I'm like, you do both. You, you really need to do both. And most people of a certain age probably had their tonsils out, probably took penicillin, probably got given some antibiotic, something, which then what you realize is that was the thing. It could have been 50 or 60 years ago that right. actually created the imbalance so slowly, wow. slowly, it, it like knocked everything out of your system. And then slowly, slowly over time, we're eating certain foods. We get a little food poisoning. We get a little this, we get a little that. Um, we got our hormones that may stimulate certain, you know, uh, types of uh, bacteria, et cetera, et cetera. And then at a certain point, all of a sudden we're having problems with our digestion. Yeah. And so uh, you re- really need to kind of build it back. So I recommend usually something that has eight to 10 different strains in it, like a variety. And then also to um, at least, you know, 50 to 80 billion to really start to do that. And then in addition, you know, we're like no sugars, no artificial sweeteners, because those actually cause problems, right? Those are those, those are the things that you know, once you get off of it, you actually realize like how sweet stuff is. Even broccoli, you chew, you like, there's like food will taste differently. But do I, am I going to use a supplement, a probiotic supplement? Like, I think there's something called a line where you put a teaspoonful of it in your coffee every morning. How does, what is your preferred method 
Uh, I prefer it in a capsule. Okay. I mean, I just prefer it in a in a capsule. But also, then you get you know you have things that are fermented in your your food. I mean, I actually make my own ginger beer. I started doing that, so like, and use like the natural um, yeast or whatever that's actually on the the ginger to create. And it's you know, so it has a little bit of fermentation. Um, but there, you know, kombucha. With our, Kombucha? It's like a kombucha. Kom- kombucha is with um, kombucha. is actually with black tea, and so um, you know that's something. But you know, for some people, they can make them very gassy. But the idea—I mean, you can have a little sauerkraut. You could have pickles, right? You could have um, uh, you know pickled vegetables, which you you can actually put on your salad or or have it on the side. And you know, in Asian culture, usually at the very beginning. They'll have a little bit of, and you probably remember when you were in uh, in Hong Kong, you'd get a little a little dish there, and there might be some little pickled cabbage or always a little yeah. bit before the meal. You take it; it's a little bit sour, and it starts the um, your saliva. You chew it; it starts saliva, and then your stomach acid begins, so that when you you begin to eat, your or it helps with digestion. Right. And also the, the pickle has a little bit of the um, probiotic in it. Right. And, and, and the way, you know, food is prepared. Right. A lot of f- fermentation. So we look at like miso in, in the like there are all types of miso or kimchi or little things that are added for flavoring also have the uh, fermentation that actually helps with your gut. So I stopped having miso also because I understood that it produced estrogen and I mean I don't really know okay so I think you know there hasn't been was that just legend yeah okay so miso is a fermentation of soy of a soy product yeah and really what we would look at you know in Asia so many you know there it's so predominant not only tofu but there's tempeh there's edamame there's the miso there's the like all of these different ways in which you know because soy or tofu soy is actually a complete protein right yes so we're looking at you know cultures that traditionally were more vegetarian and even vegan that would need to you know have their protein right and so getting you know talking about food as medicine or how we eat you know older cultures would eat within season. So this is another aspect of it, right? Because when you eat in season, you're getting the maximum nutrition absorbed into the food. And really the idea of doing combining certain foods, um, you know, such as in, in Chinese cooking, you always see like garlic and ginger. So garlic is one of the things that will kill um, parasites and ginger is something that warms the stomach and helps with digestion. So you start to look at, the way foods were are, are cooked and prepared and oftentimes a lot of quick sauteing or steaming so that you don't destroy, destroy the nutrients. We don't overcook the food. It just it has to be cooked enough that you, you know, kill certain bacteria, but you also allow for the nutrients to still be there so that you absorb. So, so this is like, I mean, in the West, we call it food medicine. Well, when you look at certain cultures, they're very much, uh, you know, close to the land of where of the food that they're eating. And eating within season means that they're actually working with 
nature and in cycles. Um, and, and one thing I wanted to just say before when we were talking about menopause before I forget, you know, women's health is, has a cycle to it. Our, the way our body is has a monthly kind of a curve cycle. So it's not a flat line. And so one of the problems with the, the issues from, from an allopathic perspective, it's always looking at everything being like static. Yeah, like or, or, or you should somehow be able to remain the same. Uh, you know, I was just saying that with, right. and, and I hate to interrupt you, but. No, no, I just wanted to remember, like kind of like put that out because our yeah. body is not like this. It actually, you know, it has like the, the waves, just like our sleep cycle has a wave to it, right? Our digestion has a wave to it. Like our whole, our whole body has this wave. And when we're working with it and not against it, then it's smooth, right? We just, you, we know. It gets cold out, you put on a jacket, right? We don't complain, oh, huh. you know, like, why is it cold? You know, like, we really go like, okay, we know that it gets darker earlier. We know that we need to eat warmer food. You know, connect with ourselves, right? You and know, I, I said this to somebody, and, and I don't mean to criticize any of my friends that are mothers, but... um when I hear, and you know, when I, when I grew up, there was no fast food. And if you didn't, my mother actually used to take me to a kosher chicken shop where all these guys with little hats on, yarmulkes were running around and it was kosher food and they're preying on the food, but the chickens were all running around and you would say, okay, I want a chicken. And they would butcher the chicken right there. And so as a child, I had a sense of where the food came from as a live animal and how it got defeathered and declawed and, and then it went into a big soup bowl and you made chicken soup from scratch and it took seven or eight hours and the house filled up with this wonderful aroma. And now when I talk to friends who have young children, they're like, what are you crazy? We go to Chick-fil-A. I mean, so you have an entire generation, generational um, ignorance of where food actually comes from. Right. The fact that it was a live animal, unless it's vegetarian, and I do not, apart from one person, our producer on this podcast, I do not know one person that is vegetarian. Everybody is a carnivore, and I always get lectured like, you need to eat red meat. Well, I'm almost 80 years old. I'm not so sure I need to eat red meat, but let's put it this way. I'm way on that other side of menopause, but it is Menopause Awareness Month. That's October. And thank God it is so at least women can talk about it. From menopause, the beginning of it, on into deep maturity, which is what I will call myself rather than an old lady, um, what are our best bets for eating to not just stay alive, but really support our body and prosper. What would be your final words on that say, as an expert? I would say really like you want to eat organic. You want to like, and, and really 
pick high quality food and, and really stay away from processed things, even if it's supposedly like processed health foods, you know, like shakes and stuff. I mean, too often um, people are oh. using uh, supplements. And, and, and really, I know we, we talked about this at an, another time where a supplement is really to supplement what might be missing in your diet, not substitute. Huh. And what I notice is like a lot of people are like, oh, I just drink this shake and I put in my, you know, microgreens and I do this and I, and it's actually a lot harder on your system than going through really like chewing your food, using the, the enzymes and allowing that digestive cycle to happen. Um, it, in a weird way, the way we eat now is very close to how we raise, you know, animals for you know, production, like for meat production, right? Everything is all kind of put into some goopy um, thing that you put in your blender and then you swallow it down. And, you know, I mean, it's real, it's very efficient, you know, like from a perspective, like, we don't need, we're just going to like, you know, have people, you know, uh, get accustomed to eating powdered foods because, you know, it'll sit on a shelf. Um, I mean, that might be a, I might be a little bit extreme. I don't uh, think you are being extreme. But, I, I, just, I yeah. think that most people um, who, let's say at, at this point are 20 years old, 25 years old, they have, unless you live in the middle of the country on a dairy farm or something, you have very little um, meshing uh with where the food came from, what it was intended for, and quite frankly, how it should taste. And mm -hmm. so you get used to um, processed food. You get used to high salt content. You get used to all these chemicals. And then somebody said to me the other day, and, and he's a great cook, but he was making... Um, some kind of chili. And I said, oh, you put ground beef in there. And he said, no, I used Impossible Burger. And I said, you know what? I said, take a look at the label. If it is a paragraph eight inches long of derivatives and chemicals and preservatives, I think it's probably better to just use meat. So as a final commentary, what is your number one piece of advice for eating to live a healthful, productive life as a female from 55, 50 years on? Oh, the number uh -huh. one. Oh, what a tricky question you have here. Oh, oh the number one. Well, um, you know, again, I would say eat whole foods and and I, and I also really Perfect. mean yeah whole whole foods no artificial stuff like really like steer clear of it and and in particular you know the things that are like the diet fat free like all of that you know cuz that has it's the chemicals in it just like you were talking about the impossible stuff that um, there's so many chemicals in there and, and, and you're not getting nutrients. Like that's the, the it's fat that's free. A, it's also, you're perfect. going like no nutrient I'm going. I, it, so really um, 
And I think for women, they need to not fall into that trap of. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's so it's a very interesting month, October, because not only is it menopause awareness month, but it's obviously breast cancer awareness month as well. And when I had breast cancer and I had really excellent care, couldn't have been better, not possible. Um, but obviously I was given a lot of steroids, a lot of chemicals in chemo as in chemical therapy. And it's taken me almost four years to even come close to normalizing my body again and getting all of that out of my system. So I am a big proponent yeah. of eating whole foods, eating natural, and actually finding joy and creativity in preparing those foods. Exactly. The 10 fingers of virtue, like it's really you preparing your own it's a gift to yourself. It's also a practice, you know, and that's, and that is something, um, to appreciate that you're creating it for yourself. Oh yeah. yeah. I'm not a good cook, but I'm an enthusiastic cook <laughs> for one. So I only have me to judge my meals because most of the men I've been with in my life were like, uh, Hey, let's go out to dinner tonight. If they were faced between me cooking a meal and having something they enjoy. So, Joe, I want to thank you so thank much. You. Really a fascinating discussion about, as an aging female, how to bolster and foundationally take care of your health. I thank you so very much. And we will list how to get in touch with Cho because she has her own practice of Chinese medicine and um, very knowledgeable and kind lady to come on and explain it all to us. Thank, Thank you, my you. friend. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to Too Young to Be Old podcast. The episode may be over, but the fun doesn't have to stop here. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube at The Diane Gilman, or visit our website, thedianegilman.com. If you like the show, leave us a rating or a review, and subscribe so you don't miss the next episode. And until then, don't forget, age is just a number. Together, we'll prove that we are all too young to be old. <laughs>